that stripped Satan of the keys of death. And the Bible says Jesus rose again triumphantly. And he is seated now at the right hand of the Father forever and ever. And he sits as our high priest ever making intercession on behalf of the saints. Amen. Can you say amen to that? That's the kind of God we serve. We serve a God who ever makes intercession. And you know what? When you're weak, and when you fall on your face, and when you mess up, you have a heavenly Father. The Bible says He is an advocate. That means He's your defense attorney. He's going to fight for you, and He stands in the corridors of the courtroom of heaven, and He says... He's not guilty. He is guiltless because my blood has covered all of his sins, past, present, and future. But Satan says, but the facts are, he's sinned. He's rejected you. Listen, Satan, you have no authority. And he shuts his mouth. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, stripped him. He shuts his mouth and he says, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus was sufficient to justify and to sanctify and then ultimately to glorify Jesus in your body. You belong to Jesus. You've been redeemed by the spotless, precious Lamb of God. You are no longer a victim and you are no longer a sinner. The Bible says, and you, He has made perfect in his sights and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more that's a powerful place but there's times there's times where we as believers even in our own journey sometimes we fail I want you to jump with me to Matthew 26 for a few minutes I'm not going to spend a lot of time here but I want to talk to you about winning, winning the war. Amen. How many of you know we're in a battle? We're in a battle. The Bible says that we're in a battle. And there are many battle fronts. There's many different fronts. Some of us are in relational battles. Some of us may be in a marriage battle. Maybe there are some personal battles. But there are battles that are being waged against you every day. You need to understand. We need to understand that life is so much bigger than just going to work, going to school, getting an income, making plans for your future. You need to understand that every day there is a devil and he is plotting for your demise. He's methodical. He's very patient. I'm not here to attest or to magnify the works of or the, the powers of the purpose of darkness. But we do need to recognize there is a devil and his desire is to do one thing. The most important thing is to steal your faith. He's not after your wealth. He's not after your health. He's not after just your marriage or your kids. If he can get your faith, if he can destroy your faith, He's got the rest. So, see, one thing the devil wants is he loves Christians in a compromised position. He loves believers that are complacent. 
He loves lukewarm believers. He, he loves believers that are offended. I remember in my own life, there have been seasons when I've come through certain seasons where I was being tested in my life. And there were times I began to question God and I, I was angry. I, I got offended because I didn't understand what was going on. My rights at certain seasons were violated. People hurt me. People stepped on my, my toes or certain things happened. And I remember the temptation to test and to begin to tempt the Lord and say, God, why did you let this happen? I remember when I was going through that season, I, I began to challenge the goodness of God, the character of God, and, and, and God began to warn me. I remember there were times where the Lord said, Ray, you need to realize this is a test. You're going to come through this. And it's going to prepare you for something greater or it'll become a setback. You see, a test will either destroy you or it'll prepare you for something greater. You need to understand that nothing happens to your life by chance. Now, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. While he was in Gethsemane, he knew his hour was short. And he began to take his disciples... And he began to call them to pray. And he said this, verse 39, Matthew 26, 39. He went a little further. He fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Everyone say sleeping. How many here? have ever gone to sleep in church. Amen. Praise God. We'll pray for you right now. Well, maybe it was my boring preaching. <laughs> I've slept in church myself. But this wasn't sleeping in church. He found them sleeping because of the stress of the moment. He finds them sleeping. And he says, what could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. Everyone say that with me. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation, for the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Father, right now, just quicken our minds. Open our eyes. Lord, I just pray that truth will be established, that we as believers will become aware and quickened to what we are facing, what we're walking through. I pray right now, Lord, that we would be wise concerning the times in which we live in. Lord, we thank you for the word of the Lord in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Jesus is saying here that we need to watch and pray. This is the time where Jesus, before he was going to be crucified, he tells his disciples two things in order to win, in order to break through. You need to watch. Well, what are we supposed to watch? The weather? We're supposed to watch the service? What, what are we supposed to watch? He's telling us to watch. The word watch there means to stay awake. It means to be aware. It means to be discerning of the times that you're facing. How many of you know we need to be able to recognize what is going on when we're walking through any particular experience? That uh, the Bible says to watch and pray. Now, prayer 
sometimes I don't think we necessarily even know the importance and the power of prayer. Prayer was not just intended for you to just just some mumble some words and some requests. But God intended for prayer to be a place and a time where your heart and your mind is elevated. God wants to elevate you into a realm and into a place where you begin to see things from heaven's point of view. God wants to elevate. He wants to bring you out of yourself, out of the realm of natural thinking. Prayer opens your eyes. It removes the veil. It helps you to see what is really going on and who is really pulling the strings. The power of prayer is what begins to give you the success and the breakthrough. As you go back into the book of Daniel, chapter 9, the Bible says that Daniel gave himself to 21 days of fasting and praying. And as he was praying, it says that the angel uh, Michael came to him and told him that from the first day that you set your heart to humble himself and to pray, your prayer was heard, Daniel. But he says, the prince of Persia over this particular area had restricted him, but because of prayer, a breakthrough had come through. I mean, literally the power of prayer of Daniel began to break the spirit that was binding these nations. And God began to give breakthrough because of a man who set himself to pray. How many of you know prayer brings breakthrough? And when you begin to pray, winning cannot take place until you are watching and praying. So Jesus said we need to watch and we need to pray because the Spirit is willing. Willing to do what? Willing to stand. Willing not to compromise. To willing to press through. Willing to stand. The flesh is weak. How many of you discovered your flesh is weak? Years ago when I was uh, a young high schooler and I was learning how to play football, I was on a football team and I'll never forget one of our coaches set us aside and we were all ready to get out there. We wanted to get our gear on and go out and do our daily doubles and our uh, get develop, developing and get in shape and learning our plays. And one of the first things, I will never forget this coach, sat us down. And it was not something we were looking we, we wanted to get out the field, throw the football, run the place, make some tackles and some hits and get, get ready for the games uh, for the up and coming fall season. But this coach sat us all down. We didn't have any gear on. We're sitting in our locker room. And he says, I want to talk to you right now how to think like a winner. He says, a lot of you guys are just jocks. You want to get out there, want to make a team play. You want to kind of be kind of a, a hero and, and make the big play. But he says, I want to talk to you about what it is to think like a winner and how to play as a team. And he began to really deal with our thinking. He began to deal with the process of where we come from and a lot of the, the baggage that we carry even into the locker room and even out into the field. Sometimes 
when we're in the midst of the battle. There are things that we carry, even right now. Many times we're facing challenges and we can't ever really move forward because there's baggage that the devil constantly reminds us of our past, where we've come from, who we've come from, what others have said about us, and it hinders us from really moving forward. How many of you know God needs to heal a lot of the baggage that's in our thinking right now? God wants to heal you. He needs to restore you. And one of the most important things that that happens is when you are grounded and you are growing in the knowledge of the Word. Jump with me in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Notice what the Apostle Paul says about the nature, the nature of the battle in 2 Corinthians 10. You know these scriptures as much as I do. Paul says here, for though we walk in the flesh, in other words, we're dealing with issues in our natural body and with problems and issues in our world, though we walk in the flesh, we're in the activities of our flesh, we do not war. The word war there means we do not contend. It means not to get into a battle with people. We do not war. We are not going to fight battles on certain levels. In other words, there's a determination. Paul is saying as a believer, because you're a spirit-filled, you're a spirit being, you refuse to recognize offenses and recognize people as the problem. I refuse to look at political leaders or my wife, my kids or the problem or my boss. I refuse to look at them as the issue. There are spiritual powers and principalities that are working, that are seeking to bring an offense, that are seeking to stop my faith, that are seeking to circumnavigate and derail my faith. You see, Paul, because he had understanding concerning the times and he knew who he was, he recognized that he had to fight the right battle on the right battlefield. It's possible for you to be fighting battles with people, and that's exactly what the devil does. He wants to bait you, set you up. He wants you to be fighting with people, fighting your boss, fighting the church, fighting other people. And the devil loves it because your peace is robbed, your joy is left. He steals, kills, and destroys. But when people begin to get on their knees and they begin to pull down strongholds, and they begin to declare the power of God over, and you declare, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is amazing how you can actually shift an atmosphere. I'll never forget this. I was a young boy. And my pastor, our pastor, Dick, was preaching on the importance of worship and praise, and praise and worship. And uh, it was a season in, in, in Bible Temple years ago, and I, I, was a, I was with my brother, and my mother and my father began to have a pretty heavy argument in our home. They, they were arguing. It, it, was, it was so intense that I came out, and I was standing there in the living room, and my mom and dad were going at it, and they were just fighting and it was intense and I was afraid my brother and, and this it was going back and forth but all of a sudden my mother did something 
that blew my mind. She lifts up her hands and she begins to speak in tongues and worship the Lord. Now my dad just says, what in the world are you doing? And my mom just says, and she began to worship the Lord. And then she began to do this. Father, I pray right now that the powers of darkness and anger and division be broken over this home. I pray right now. I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. The spirit of division and disunity that is in this home and the spirit of divisiveness and the spirit of vain imaginations and, and wrong thinking. I'll never forget my, my brother and myself and my dad. We're, we're watching mom as she's bursting out in this worship. But you will not believe what happened. The atmosphere shifted. In the presence of God came into that living room. And as a boy, I, I was probably about 12, 13 years of age. Something was so different. I'll never forget that the rest of my life. Now, you would, most people think, well, oh my God, who are you? You've just been cussing your husband out. Now you start speaking in tongues. That's the best time to speak in tongues. A lot of us think, well, wait a minute. You've just used profanity and you've said some bad and nasty things to your husband and now you have the right to go mock God and start worshiping. You bet you need to start worshiping. Somehow we got this in our head. Oh, you know what? Maybe I better go back to church, see pastor for a couple of counseling sessions, kind of get and get a, get at least a good little track record of me doing good works and nice deeds and saying a lot of apologies to my husband before I ever break out in worship and praise. That's a lie from the enemy. You can be in the worst of conditions, and when you begin to start worshiping God, do you, do you know that that actually pleases God? You may say, Pastor, that's, that's hypocrisy. No, it's not hypocrisy. You are like Jonah in the belly of the whale. You cried out to the Lord, and the Bible says, even David said, when I cried out to the Lord, He heard my voice out of His holy hill. Somehow we, we have this idea that, that we've got to get to that point where we kind of earn some brownie points and we, we've got at least a little bit of a track record of good behavior where we can come before God and say, God, I'm really kind of sorry for getting mad that one day three weeks ago. Will you please get me into a place and I'll start being good. I'll give a few more nickels in the bucket and I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll serve on the Sunday school ministry and all. God's not interested in that. What he wants you to do, you can be in the worst of situation in a split second. You can begin to fall on your knees and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. and You can begin to pray over a situation. And I guarantee you, the Bible says, when you begin to exalt the Lord and you begin to worship the Lord, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. And you begin to break the powers of darkness in the atmosphere of that home. The Bible here says in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says here, No weapon, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to pulling down strongholds. What are strongholds? Strongholds are lies. Strongholds can be relationships. Strongholds can be opinions. Strongholds can be the spirit of fear. Strongholds can be facts. 
But the facts are, the doctor said I have cancer. The facts are, we are not getting along in our marriage. That's the facts. It's still a stronghold because it's contrary to the will of God. It's a stronghold, and I refuse to listen to the stronghold. Bible says that the weapons of warfare are mighty. Everyone say mighty. You will never use your weapons until you realize that what you have is mighty. You will never use your weapon until you realize that what you possess is mighty. Can you say amen? Let's see what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to become complacent. He wants us to become lethargic and apathy. He wants, he wants there to, to lukewarmness and the casual spirit. One of the, the dangerous, subtle traps of the church today is where we become lukewarm and casual. And we become passive about what God is saying today. And all of a sudden you just, you find yourself spiritually adrift, drifting away from the Lord. And you begin to embrace certain strongholds. Paul here says, we're to cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. He's talking about the spirit of witchcraft. You know what witchcraft is? The Bible says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is anything that exalts or opposes the word of God. Remember one time a person said, you know, Pastor Ray, how come in the world you're always using the Bible? I said, well, what do you want? Do you want my knowledge? Do you want me to argue on the premise of what I feel is right? Ray Galligan could be wrong. Ray could be totally off. Without the Word of God, we have nothing. We need the Word of God. We need the Word of God. Casting down arguments and everything that exalts itself against, that brings into thought every thought. Everyone say every thought. Every thought into captivity to the obedience and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Paul is telling us that part of living in the victory is that there is a recognition, there's a discernment, there is more absolute truth in my life. There are lines that I'm drawing as a Christian. One thing that Carol and I, as believers, we're not perfect Christians. We don't have a perfect marriage. But one thing we've grown to know as we've grown in our walk with the Lord, that we have had to set certain standards. There are certain lines. There are certain things we will not tolerate in our home, because we honor and we reverence and we we uh, we uh, recognize the importance of God's presence in our home. We want His presence. We want the blessing of the Lord. One of the things that I've come to realize in my own life is that what is so important in my marriage, for instance, is honesty. There needs to be honesty. There needs to be respect in my home. There needs to be gratitude and thanksgiving. There needs to be a, a moral, a responsibility and accountability. I'm not just independent doing my thing as a man. I'm accountable to my wife. Why? Because I want the blessing of God. 
The Bible says that we're in covenant. What covenant means is that we share everything. We're together in the whole race. We're, con- we're together in this whole thing together. Paul says this, that we're to cast down arguments and anything. The Apostle Paul also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2.11, listen to this. He says, lest Satan should gain an advantage against us, we are not ignorant of his devices. The word devices, the Greek word is methodos, and it means mind games. Satan comes to play mind games with you. And to get you to believe a certain thing, he blows things up. Out of, he blows things completely way out of order to put fear, to, to, to polar, polarize and paralyze you. That's how the enemy works. If he can somehow get you distracted and derailed, if he can get you to a place of complacency. In John chapter 8, when Jesus one day was speaking and he said, For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He said, A son abides in the house, but a slave does not abide. And the Pharisees said, We have never been a slave to anyone. And Jesus said, If sin is in your life, you're a slave to sin. And then the Bible says that the Pharisees sought to plot Jesus' demise. They sought to kill him. And then Jesus comes back and he says, Your father... Your father is the father of the devil. Because from the beginning, he was a murderer. And he's a liar. And his works, you do. Jesus was saying that you can determine what father you belong to by the works and by the attitude that's in your heart. Jesus said, if you loved me, you would believe me and you would listen to me. But since you don't listen to me and you won't follow me, your father is the father of lies. That was a very stiff warning that Jesus was giving to the Pharisees. I do not believe Jesus was trying to condemn them. I don't believe Jesus was being condescending. I believe Jesus was trying to warn them. I believe Jesus cared for them. Anytime Jesus said to him that hath ears, let him hear. How many of you believe we need to hear when God says to hear? I'm going to say something else. I believe God speaks through pastors. I believe God speaks through elders. Some of us may feel, no, that's, that's not the Lord. That's just Pastor Ray or Pastor Dick or Pastor Dave or John or Pastor anyone else. The Bible says in James that he that speaks, speaks as the oracles of God. Let him speak as though God is speaking through him. When God speaks, God will use people. And when God speaks to people, how many of you believe we should really take heed? I want to read a letter to you this morning from a gentleman who used to attend New Life Fellowship. This man... Is a, is a sincere man, he's a, he's a brother in Christ, and he still considers New Life Fellowship his church home. Normally, I would not read a letter like this because of the personal nature and, and the confidentiality of something like this, and because of the nature of it. 
which is, is uh, troubling. But he actually asked me in the letter to read this letter to you. Because where he's at. Many of you will remember him, him and his wife. His name was Bo and Kaylee Jarnigan. Bo and Kaylee Jarnigan used to be members of New Life Fellowship. They left New Life Fellowship several years ago. When Bo and Kaylee left, I remember sitting down with Bo and I said, Bo, I'm concerned about where you're at. And I remember Bo just said, well, Ray, things are going fine. Don't bother me. I'm, I'm doing okay. And many of his Sundays were spent fishing rather than being in the house of the Lord. Not against fishing, and I'm not even against fishing on a Sunday. But fishing became something that was a very dominant part of his life, and even working long hours. But what was happening was the enemy was working in his life. Bo just sent me this letter, and he asked me to read this letter to his church family because he needs prayer. I would not normally do this because of confidential audit, because he asked me to do it. I said I would do it. And I want to, to recognize how the enemy works. Sometimes we don't recognize this. We don't even take it seriously. He says, Dear Pastor Ray, I hope all is well with you and the church and church family. I don't know where to begin with this letter. The past two years have been the worst two years of my life. You are going to be so disappointed. Around January of 2014, Kayla and I decided that we were going to go out one night and blow off a little steam. So one night we bought a little marijuana and then it graduated into smoking a little meth. We gave in to temptation. Big mistake. We relapsed hard. Let me just give you the short version. And before I go on, please share this with the church. Because if my experience can discourage any rum, one from thinking they can try or do drugs once, that it will be okay, think again. That is a lie from Satan. Anyway, this is the short version. We relapsed around January of 2014. We told ourselves, just this one time, we'll be okay. We started using every day immediately. We lost control of everything. We stopped praying, stopped going to church, stopped going to work. Eventually... We lost our children. CPS came and took our children. But thanks be to God, Granny was able to intervene, and now she has our children at this, po at this point in time. It does get worse. My wife, Kaylee, who was the love of my life and my best friend, we are now separated. We've stopped talking to each other. We were fighting like the worst of enemies. And now here I am today, lost my home, my family, and my freedom. Kaylee is in Dallas County Jail. 
She has been seeing the judge already, and she's going to rehab when a bed becomes available. As for me, I'm in jail. I am the one of the 61 arrested a few weeks ago in the largest drug conspiracy in the North Texas history. I was charged with conspiracy to distribute meth. I was found in possession of six grams of meth, and my lawyer says he thinks I am facing three to five years in a federal prison. Insane, right? This is the very short version. I haven't even told you about the sorrow, the shame, the brokenness in my heart, my mind, and my spirit. I cry my eyes out every night. Anyway, I'm writing these words to ask you to pray for me and my family and to please share my story with anyone who has ears to hear. If anyone thinks, if anyone is thinking about using drugs or if you think it's just this one time won't hurt, think again. Just remember my story and don't forget this is the very short version and it's all the truth. It was in the news, and the 61 arrested, and the 61 arrests were anyway. Ray, I think of you as my pastor, and New Life Fellowship is my church. I made a huge mistake. I wish we would have never left New Life Fellowship. I am putting you on my visitation list. Please come and see me. I need prayer. I'm going to close for now. I can't stop crying. I love and miss you. Please tell everyone at New Life, I love and miss them too. And if anyone wants to write me, please give them my address. I need pen pals, and I would love to hear from them. Bo Charnigan. When I read that letter, it just, just made me angry. It made me very sick. Because Joe, Bo, I mean... Bo, several years ago, was in prison for drugs, and the Lord miraculously saved him. He got out, and God was using him when he was here at New Life Fellowship. But what happened was, and I want to tell you folks, the devil got a foothold because of complacency. They thought that I don't need to take the things of God seriously, what happened, he's lost everything. But I want to tell you right now that God can restore him. My Bible says in Galatians 6, verse 1, that if a brother or a sister be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself. We are going to pray for this man and his family, and I'm believing God is going to turn this thing around, and he's going to see the years restored that the canker worm hath eaten, and God is going to restore his years back to him. I am believing God for that. Because we believe that the grace of God is stronger than the power of sin. But one thing that we do need to realize, we cannot flirt with sin. We cannot play games when the Holy Spirit was convicting Bo, I remember several years ago, and I'm going to say this, when I was trying to talk to Bo about where he was, he'd hang up on me. Didn't have anything to do with me. And by the way, folks, I wasn't offended that he didn't want to talk to me. But I knew the Holy Spirit was working on him. 
when the Holy Spirit is working on him, don't push him away. Don't push him away. This man is paying a horrible price, sitting in prison up in Greenville right now. And it didn't need to be this way. He's crying his heart out, but I believe God can turn things around. He's still alive. And by the way, the reason, like I said, I read this was because he asked me to. Normally I would not do that. I want you to know that. We don't share confidential things, private things like this, but he asked me to. And I actually believe the Lord impressed on me to do it because there are people today that are in that place of complacency. They're in a place where they're lukewarm. They're in a place where their defenses have dropped. And we just kind of let a little bit of sin. Remember what he said? We, we decided to blow off some speed, steam and go out and just try it one time. How many of you know the devil's a liar? Young people at school, your friends are going to bait you and tell you, if you want to be with us, you need to do this. That happened when I was in public school. I, I lost friends because I refused to run with the crowd. I remember going back to five, ten-year reunions. Those young people in their mid-twenties, their lives are messed up. My wife and I serving the Lord. God, God delivered us and kept us from that lifestyle. But because of peer pressure, we're living on a battlefield. And we need to take this battlefield serious. I mean, are you hearing with me? Next month in January, we're calling a 21-day prayer and fasting. Jesus said to watch and pray. I'm going to give you three things in closing, what we need to do in order for you to win the war. Number one, three things. Very short, very quick, but it's important. Number one, if you're going to win the war, you need to take the battle seriously. You need to recognize that the enemy plays for keeps. I need to take this battle serious. I need to take temptation serious. Number two, you need to continue to renew your mind as far as who you are in Christ. You're a son. You're a daughter of the king. And as a son and a daughter of the king, I am not going to stoop down and feed out of the sewer of this world. I don't need to do that. God has set before me a banqueting table, His Word, His promises, His goodness. I don't need to feed out of the sewer of the world to get some high. My high is the Holy Spirit. My high is the Word of God. I need to recognize that Satan seeks to place a spirit of rebellion and indifference in my life. He seeks to deceive me by making, making me think that I'm smart enough. Let me tell you, one of the greatest lies of the enemy, the lie of the enemy is that you can flirt with sin and it won't hurt you. That's a lie. Satan is a liar. He makes you think that you can play with it and it won't hurt you. It will hurt you. The third thing we need to do as believers is you need to know your spiritual weapons. And you need to use them. You need to know what your weapons are. We need to use the Word of God. Parents, if your kids 
can know more about football scores and baseball teams, and they can know more about sports, but they don't even know Bible stories. There's something wrong in your house. My kids need to know more about the Bible than the sports team. I'm all for, I'm okay with sports. Hey, I'm, I love to watch sports too. But if my kids don't even know certain Bible stories, but yet they can name all the sports, or it may not be sports, it could be other things. I need my kids to know God. That needs to matter to me. Uh, to, to, in order to ensure victory. And the last thing, never, never neglect the house of God. Never neglect the house. The Bible says to not neglect the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some are doing today. Do not neglect. Why, why? why is church so important? Well, why do I need to be in church? A couple of reasons. Number one, accountability. Number two, I need the encouragement of my brothers and sisters. God never called you to be a spiritual amputee where you're by yourself and cut off. God called you to be connected to the body. My body, my hands are nourished by my body. I don't want to lose any finger, any arm, any foot. I don't want to lose an ear. The body is nurtured, protected, as it is connected together. Everyone say connection. You, the more, one thing I've noticed, a progression. When people begin to backslide, they stop reading their Bible, they stop coming to prayer, and then their, attent uh, their att attentiveness to the house of God begins to wane. I'm not suggesting that we're saved by attendance. But I notice the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, 43 and 48, it says that all they that believed were together and they met daily in the temple with the apostles' doctors and prayer and the breaking of bread and fellowship. They were daily in the temple. Sometimes we can't even get people to meet weekly. One of the things, I'm going to say something here. I'm sad when I see parents drop their kids off at Wednesday night and they go off on a date. Listen to me, parents. When you drop your kids off and you go off on a date, you're teaching your children a bad habit. What you're saying is, church is not important for us, but it's important for you. I would never drop my kids off and go out shopping. I need to be in the house of the Lord when I drop them off, and I need to be in the house of God. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. Somebody might feel their tups, toes are stepped on. God will heal those toes in Jesus' name. I'm not trying to hurt or offend anybody. I want to tell you, we're in a real battle. This is a battle. Let's bow our heads. When I read this letter this week, I, I got angry with the enemy. I got angry with the devil. In fact, I even got angry with myself thinking I didn't do enough. Because I hate to see anybody in defeat. I hate to see anybody compromise and be taken captive by the enemy. I know I'm not responsible, but what could I have done? I'm just asking you this morning. We're living in times where we're seeing our values change in America. America has 
forsaken the Word of God. I'm not saying everybody in America has. I believe there's a lot of wonderful believers, wonderful churches. But I believe in the message and the preaching of the grace message. We also need to preach the fear of God. We need to also recognize that there's a responsibility in following the Lord. The devil loves passive Christians that are complacent and lukewarm. He loves them when they don't take prayer seriously. That's what happened with Bo and Kaylee. They begin to wane in their, their fire and their passion for the Lord. I remember there was a day where Bo wouldn't even talk to them. And eventually they left the church. Now he's calling back and he does need prayer. And we're here to restore and help him. And we want to. But I remember those days when I couldn't reach him. I knew the Lord was speaking to my heart that there were troubled waters ahead. I did not know it would be like this. And I'm just saying, folks, we do not need to allow things like this to happen. I believe God wants us to put a hedge, recognize the, the importance of building a hedge around our home and our family. And we all stand to our feet. Can you just stand to your feet for a minute here, please? I want you to take your neighbor by the hand. God is a God of mercy and he is a God of love and he is a God who restores us. You might say, you know, Pastor, I've been complacent. I've allowed the enemy to come into my life. I want to slam the door on the lies of the enemy. I want the Lord to restore the first of my joy of my salvation back. As you're just holding the neighbor by the hand, I want you to pray for your neighbor. Just pray, Father, ignite the fire of God. Ignite, Lord, your love, the first love in their hearts. Father, we just pray right now for my brother, my sister on my right and my left. Lord, just cause prayer to be reignited. Help us to, to follow what Jesus said, to watch and pray. For the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. We do not have to become a victim. Lord, we, you want us to stand strong. So Lord, today, as a church, we recognize that all of us, all of us are potentially vulnerable. It says, to him that thinks he stand, beware lest he fall. We realize that all of us are capable of slipping away and being derailed. Father, we pray right now that we would be watchful and we would pray. We would watch and redeem the times. Lord, I pray for fathers to be leaders in their home. I pray for mothers to be leaders in their home, to be examples. I pray, God, that our homes would be a place where the altar of prayer and the reading of the word is read, where people talk about the Lord and rejoice in the goodness of God. I pray for fathers and mothers to have unity in their homes, where they contend and pursue the presence of the Lord. Father, we're living in times where Jesus said, because iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold. Father, we ask you right now, that our hearts would be set on fire for you. Lord, we love you today. 
give you praise. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I, I want to let you know that if you'd like Bo's address, I'd love to give it to you. I think it would be awesome if we could bless him. Go in Jesus' name. Have an awesome day. If any of you would like prayer, feel free to come down. I'd love to pray with you in Jesus' name. God bless you.